Welcome to the All Things Blues and Southern Rock Podcast. A southern storm of bold, liberating rock shot through with blues, soul, and gospel. And now, your hosts for the show, Brian Jones and Jason Johannes. Welcome back to the 12th episode of the All Things Blues and Southern Rock Podcast. As always, we're very appreciative of the participation on the Facebook page and all the downloads of the podcast. I'm here with, as I announced last week, my new co-host, Jason Johannes, in uh, Ohio, somewhere in Ohio. <laughs> and how are you doing tonight? Outside of Columbus. That's all I'm going to admit to, just in case. Just in case I make you angry. <laughs> yeah, what's up? Hey, man. It's good to be back on another podcast, uh, number two. Pretty exciting. I think we're starting to get the in the flow of things, and I think this conversation ended up really well with uh, somebody that you guys may not know by name, but know by what he's done. Tell the listeners who we talked to, Jason. I hope I get his name right. Um, we were doing it with Mr. David Goldflees of the Allman Brothers Band. And also, I think uh, Black Betty and Ram Jam. Yeah, that's true. He did play the bass on that recording, and I never knew that before. So it was cool to hear that, you know. And uh, oh, it was absolutely cool. Like you know, the things that you find out about people when you talk to them, and really this guy who may not be a household name, but the fact is, played Almond Brothers for six years. He did a classic track now that everybody and their mother knows, and there's been a hundred different cover versions of that song that's really cool and then also when you kind of start talking to these guys you find out a little bit about some of their hobbies like astrophotography which i really didn't know a whole lot about right 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 yeah i'm glad you brought that up again i almost forgot about that that was very cool like to segue into that and i believe he also said he played in uh dickie betts band i don't know if that was uh before great southern or but uh it uh i was very uh it's very impressive everything that he's done nicest guy in the world you know yeah oh he he was great to talk to had a lot of good stories uh very down to earth and i think you hit on a couple of good things too this guy again southern rock royalty almond brothers played with dickie betts for a bunch of years so he really got to get a lot of experience with somebody that really set the foundation for both classic and even even modern southern rock too um not only is this guy you know doing playing in those bands but these days he's working with symphonies and he's also doing an Almond Brothers band revival act that's going on out there too. So now, you know, he's had a good history and right now, currently he's still driving things along with the Southern, with Southern rock music. Yeah. You're covering all those points really well, you know? So, uh, and we asked him like who he, you know, likes nowadays and in, in that genre of the Southern rock and he's going to let us know that. I want to ask you, like, uh, you know, we talk, you know, off when we're not, uh, you know, chatting for the show. Like, what, who are you into before and who have you gotten into more from just us shooting the shit? Man, I'll tell you what. So, you know, from, from the last show, um, a lot of my favorite bands, again, Black Rose, Blackberry Smoke. You know, recently, Marcus King. Again, if you haven't checked out Marcus King, guys, listeners, please go out, check Marcus King, the Marcus King band out government mule um from you from talking to you and and researching for this podcast like magnolia bayou just really super impressed with those young guys they have a great sound they also honor some 
great um, cover songs too. So really love listening to those guys, getting into them. Um, what else we got? Um, Stone Senate, who maybe one day we'll be lucky enough to talk to. Another another Southern rock band keeping it alive. A couple albums out. Uh, the um, Georgia Thunderbolts, pretty good band as well too. Hopefully one day we'll get a chance to talk to them. Um, and really, I tell you what, the Magnolia Bayou thing has really been sticking out to me as a new band. I've really quite enjoyed this morning, this point. When I put those lists up, like on the Facebook page, like here's my top 15, that literally could change every day. You know, it's like, like moving sliders up and down on an EQ. It's like, you know, <laughs> I mean, it, like it, right now, my whole world has been just obsessed with, with the Georgia Thunderbolts and with them dirty roses, you know, and then tonight I was you know, listening to the new Tyler Bryant and the Shakedown, and that one's really growing on me. That's a great record. So it's just exciting. It's a great sound. It's just exciting that these records, all these new records have been coming out and are coming out too. You know, I mean, you got them Dirty Roses working on something. You got Jive Mother Mary working on something. You got Ben Lewis, who is the former bass player, Bishop Gunn. He's working on a record. Blackberry Smoke is done with theirs, and that's supposed to be coming out soon. In August, this last August, both... Tennessee Champagne and uh, the Georgia Thunderbolts came out with their record a month later. You know, uh, out comes the Magnolia Bayou record, Strange Place. So it's just, I don't know, it's just a great time for all this stuff to be coming out. I'm just really pumped and excited about that. I got to tell you. Oh, I am too. And I tell you, two bands I really need to start listening to more of because I've liked what I've heard a little bit from you is Then Dirty Roses and Tennessee Champagne. So I've seen some of the stuff you posted and started listening to it. It's good. I just got to dig in, got to find the time to dig into it more right now. You're just driving me to do research for all the bands that we're talking to now, and I'm, I'm enjoying that. Does that, like, so your band, you, you say, is more Americana. Is this stuff, does this stuff play into influencing you? Does, does it come out, like, whether it's intentional or not? Do you ever, you know, feel like that? Like, well, where did that lick come from, or does it, you know... How does it have, uh, oh, absolutely. influence you? No, sh- sure. Like when any when any of the guys in the band, we, we bring a song to the table, it is absolutely influenced by what we've currently been listening to. Um, you know, my band, Ghost Town Silence, check us out on Facebook, Reverb Nation and, and Bandcamp. Got to get my plug in. But um, we have three albums out working on number four. And every album has different type of songs on it from just straight up rock, punk, um, uh, country and it really does come down to what we've listened to prior to recording the album sometimes when i come up with a song idea you know play a lick or play a chord uh, a progression or something and it sounds really good you bring it to the band and they're like oh yeah that's that song you're like ah oh, crap that's why that sounded so good you know but <laughs> again rock and roll is all about um um we'll call it swiping ideas from other people and, and swiping stands for steel with integrity and and enthusiasm so there's nothing <laughs> new part there. of rock and roll there's nothing new they're always borrowing from someone before we right. go and yeah. get into our interview i'm, I'm gonna ask you something you, that you probably were expecting me to ask but your guitars are hanging up on the wall there like mm-hmm. like those how sturdy is that because that's something i hobbyist bass player so i'm thinking about doing that like are they sturdy or they got to be screwed into a stud how do they they don't have to be screwed instead of one by very good hangers that come with either the wall anchors or you find a stud i have pretty big wall anchors that that go right into it so i've not really had a problem and then mine have two anchors for each hanger so you want to do something like that too you want to make sure it's a good good sturdy kit 
and right. no problem. I used to put everything in cases or in um, stands on the ground. And then a, a guy who was helping me doing some work on some of my guitars and stuff who ran a music store said, like, I just hang everything up. You should start hanging stuff up. So that's what I started doing. Right, right, right on. I'm trying to get the room look a little more like a podcast or radio studio. So, <laughs> but, uh, well, I just want to like, uh, lead our listeners into our interview with our guest, Mr. David Goldfleas. that it, it I, we were both kind of blown away how incredible this interview was. Cause we didn't really know what to expect. And all of a sudden like questions were just arising out of our conversation with him. So, so that was very cool. So, Without further ado, uh, let's, uh, you know, tell our listeners to really enjoy this interview with Mr. David Goldfleas. So enjoy. Our guest this week is, we have very awesome guests, uh, one-time member of the Almond Brothers and uh, uh, member of the Almond Goldfleas band. We have none other than David Goldfleas. How are you doing, David? Doing fine, man. How are you? Good, good. How's the weather down there? Today it is absolutely gorgeous, man. It's been cloudy for like two months. Uh, yeah. Hit or miss hurricanes, tropical storms. Uh, last night we were out with the telescope and got some great pictures of Orion and actual. Oh, wow. We actually saw the stuff for the first time, like in a month down here. So it's nice, good weather. You yeah, in Florida? Mm-hmm. Are you, you in, in Pensacola, Florida? Florida? Uh, Pan- I'm just north of Panama City Beach. It's okay. about two hours, two hours from Pensacola. Okay. Well, as always, uh, these days we ask people what they've been doing, uh, staying busy during the whole pandemic thing. Oh, so is that the question? What have I been doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you do to keep busy during those times? Catching up on my Netflix binging, you know, that kind of thing. Just, sure. No, actually, it started out, you know, I, my, my sister said that uh, America was cleaning when it first started. We all cleaned our houses. You know, stuff that has been laying around like for like 25 years or whatever, it's gone now. But that eventually ended. And um, then I got back in the studio and, you know, been putting out a couple tunes this last, the summer and this fall. I got a, uh, three releases now. Um, but this month has been different, man. The gigs have kind of started back up. I play with two different orchestras. So every weekend I've got a concert. I got to learn and play in it with a couple of the symphonies in the area. So that's keeping me real busy here in the studio, just, just practicing and getting, getting it together. So, you know, that playing with the symphonies and stuff, how are they doing that in a safe manner with all the, the COVID cases going on? You know, I talked to the conductor at the one, uh, the Northwest Florida Symphony over in a nice film. And they're socially distancing everybody. It's like six feet apart from everybody. Uh, so like my bass player, there's three, there were three bass players last weekend, and one's six feet away, another guy's another six feet away. So it's, it's real different, you know. And they had a question and answer period with a conductor, and I asked him, I said, what's it like to conduct an orchestra when everybody's six feet apart from each other? Plus, you know, he was like that big, you know, way across the room. I like trying to see his hand moving and all that. Like, it was hard, man. But he just said it's a different mix and you have to get used to it. But until things get better, that's just how the orchestras are going to be. 
the ones that are working, we're lucky to be working. Um, uh, Pensacola Symphony, uh, I think the New York Philharmonic, a bunch of them aren't even working. They're just not even doing it. So the ones that I'm playing in, Panama City Pops and the uh, Niceville Symphony, we're all just socially distanced, you know, on stage with masks, except for the horn players. And they put like glass and stuff, you know, although it should cover a hole in the mask. They should. Should they all, man. So this is you playing in the symphony, you playing guitar, or is this the the symphony playing along with the Almond Goldfleet's band? Well, we did do a show like that a little bit over a year ago. Um, And I have the, funny, I just had the recordings. Uh, I was going through the recordings of the live show with the band I call Brothers Revival, playing with the symphony orchestra doing the Almond Brothers music. But the ones I'm doing right now, straight straight music, man. Schubert, symphony, um, doing some um, symphonic dances by Bernstein. Uh, we did a Charles Ives piece, uh, America by Charles Ives. I don't know if you know who Ives is, but he, 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 he did acid before there was acid in music, man. <laughs> <laughs> one, one part, it's America, America, you know, all that. But in one place, they're playing, the orchestra's playing in two different keys. It's like, that is a weird sound, man. Wow. I, I really dug it, but it's like really out there, man. Wow. It's like, I'm playing, I'm playing real legit now. Uh, this, these keys are pretty, pretty legit. You know, as far as that's how I look at them, you know, uh, some rock off piano concerto. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, how, so really, that's interesting. So, kind of growing up and and what you've been through with like southern rock, rock, and all that. How do you get into? How do you get into playing with the orchestras? And how are you trained to do that? Well, it's funny because it worked opposite. When I was a kid, um, I had to play violin, or our family had to play violin, and so I did. You know, you couldn't have dinner before you practiced your violin. So I practiced my violin. And as I got older, um, I learned how to play bass. My dad said, hey, you need to be a bass player. There's a thousand of guitar players, not that many good bass players. Back then, that was true. Now there's a million good bass players. Um, and so I learned how to play rock and rock back then with a guy named Bill Bartlett. Bartlett did the song Black Betty. Mm-hmm. Ram and, uh, Jam. Yeah, that was me, man. I played the bass on that sucker. Uh, that wow. song still gets cranked out at so many sporting classic. events and classic rock radio. That is a staple. It is, man. That's every time you hear that, you're hearing my bass. The band was called Starstruck, though, and by the time it became the hit, uh, like I recorded it with Bill. By the time it became the hit, I was touring with Dickie Betts. So then I kind of I kind of studied with some really great Southern guitar players, Bill Bartlett, and then of course Dickie Betts, and then the Allman Brothers reformed. And there I was playing rock and roll, man. You know, well, right. uh, I'd like to ask you, like, how, you know, so you were in Ram Jam first and then played with Dickie Benson and the Almonds. Like, how'd that all, you know, starting from that point forward, how did that all come about? Starting well, with Ram Jam and then. I would love to say that I'm a brilliant musician, but I think it was dumb luck, honestly. Just, you know, sometimes you're just in the right place and you did the right things. Um, you know, like, for instance, I played in a band called Sagebrush, who you've never heard of. It was, I was in high school. There's a bunch of college guys and they sold pot to get their PA. I didn't sell the pot. pot. And so they only played two gigs, you know, and the second gig I met Bill Bartlett, who was had been in the Lemon Pipers. And then Bill uh, had, you know, he put together Starstruck, which later became Ram Jam. I mean, just these weird connections, man, just these weird connections. Um, In a a barn in Liberty, Indiana, I met David Toller, who was Danny Toller's brother. And uh, Danny was working with um, Dickie Betts. Mm. And just we got together and just jammed one day. And um you know, about a year later, David remembered me, saw me playing in like an agency band in a top 40 thing. Said, hey, man, my brother's looking for a bass player. I said, great. Give me a call. I had no idea it was Dickie Betts and Great Southern and that wow. Dickie and Kenny 
Mets had had a little falling out up in Chicago. I, I didn't know, you know. So it was just the luck of the draw, man, you know. When I auditioned for the Allman Brothers, though, man, it was weird because I really was pretty sure I wasn't going to get that gig. There was a bass player named Buzzy, and he, we all played at the Macon Picnic thing. And, man, that guy played so good, I was just, like, in awe. That guy was such a good player. Had this banjo roll thing. Like, dude, I can't play like that. I thought for sure they'd go with him. But I, I knew Dickie, and not personally, knew him personally, but, I mean, knew musically, I knew Dickie. I could read his, how he conducted the band. And Dickie wanted me in the band, so the rest is history, as they say. What can you elaborate about your whole time there and your experience with them, what you learned being in the Allman Brothers? I remember nothing, man. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like sounds about right. Like you, you were there at a good time. Oh no, it was fun, man. Uh, I, a lot of takeaways. One of them is that you know it's something you can't undo. It's like it's still. We're talking today because I did that experience back in um, '78 to like '84. Um, but I did learn a lot of stuff. You know, music was like rolled off of semi trucks in large metal boxes. You know, it was like industrial grade. We worked with a guitar player afterwards. Did some jazz. And we started calling the music of the rock bands megatones. All the tones are just a million times bigger than the notes in other music, you know, because they roll off semis, you know, huge crews moving music in, you know. It was just a big production. It was a real honor to be part of such a big production. Um, you know, just remember, you know, pretty much Dickie taking me in the motel rooms and saying, hey, man, here's how I want the bass to be and wanting me to play it harder, rattle the strings, just, you know, not play very busy, which doesn't do you much good playing with most other people, but with him, he wanted a, uh, more of a contrapuntal kind of bass line, you know, where you're doing counter melody and you're kind of free. It's funny now when I play with some players now, I feel how, how locked in they are to things, and it's hard to, to get them to just be free and just think, wow, I'm here now, and about three minutes from now, I want to be over there. Let's create a new path. I'm pretty good at that. Uh, I'm working a guy at a, with, at a church, a drummer, who's Phenomenal drummer, but he has no idea of building and, and improvising to a point. The guys in my band right now, I'm working with the uh, Brothers Revival, though. The guitar player, Joe Weiss, a young man, has really embraced that idea of improvisation and being in the moment and just making something happen. The Allman Brothers were like that. Dickie would always just make something happen. You know, Some nights more than others, it wouldn't always work, but it was always bring your A game and just make something happen that night. It was very reality and in the moment based, you know. We hit all the marks, but in between those marks, I never really knew from one night over the next to the next what was going to actually happen, which made for fun, made it a good gig. It wasn't right. like in the Bee Gees or something. Never the same show twice, yeah. too, if you're an audience member, right? Following you guys around to play. Right. That's why the um, the bootleg albums, you know, bootleg recordings are just so interesting, kind of like The Dead, too. You know, mm -hmm. you really, you get the same show, but you don't really get the same show, which is which is neat, you know, I think that's a pretty neat idea. So yeah, picked up a lot of interesting stuff, worked with some unbelievable people, man. Um, number one on that list would be Tom Dowd. Tom Dowd was the producer of everybody who was anybody in a sense, uh, you know, Skinner, Coltrane. I mean, if you look up Tom Dowd, uh, produced Layla, you know, Derek yep. Clapton, you know, Dowd. That's I, one of my favorite albums of all time, Layla, another sort of love songs. I, God, that is about perfect. It is about perfect, yeah. And I'd never met Dwayne, but you can sure hear the sound. And mm -hmm. Dwayne kind of made his own notes. I've had to do a lot of studying of the Allman Brothers the last three years to do the band I'm doing that is a, basically a legacy band. We're doing the music of the Allman Brothers with a little bit of original stuff thrown in. But we're trying to be as faithful as we can to the original albums. You know, like uh, Just the early versions, what, what made the group 
take off, what turn people on at the beginning. You know, maybe someday if it goes well enough, we'll go and do stuff later on. But right now we're just always looking back to the original recordings and trying to bring those to life. In character, in character, we're not doing it note for note, but like we're doing the jam and um, uh, You Don't Love Me. You know, okay. The, the Fillmore version. And that's just a long, wild jam. Wow. But we're kind of doing that jam. Like we have the hit points, but how we get there is kind of like up to the individual players. And that takes a pretty special group of guys to, and it took a couple of years to get them up to that level. When I met them, they really didn't have no idea what I was talking about. Um, one of the main things that I remember was, this is a weird concept, man, but this is a musical concept, and it kind of is the seed for a lot of stuff. You know when a band, like a blues band, goes at the end of the song, ba da 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 Wow! <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, that wah, is our first note of our show. That's where we start. We start at the very end, and then we take off from there. We have a song called One Note, and literally it's one note. But it just goes <laughs> almost like a Mahavishnu orchestra or something. You know, it's like just just like like Genesis or uh, not Genesis the band, Genesis Creation, mm -hmm. like the Big Bang. And from that moment, we just explode into whatever happens next, and we have a path. But how we get there is kind of like what we feel like doing that night, you know. And that's how the band was. It just, you know, you, when you thought it was over, Dickie would just turn around and do something different. And it's like, whoa, how'd we get here? And that makes it fun. From what you're saying, I kind of gather, was Dickie like the, the, the band conductor in the Almonds when you were there? I mean, you know, what, you know, I haven't heard you mention much about Greg. Was Dickie really kind of pointing the direction? And When I was in the band... Dickie was definitely, at least to me, the director, the music director and the, and the onstage director, like taking his guitar and the, you know, move here, mostly in his shoulder. Like, that would be like a whole cue, you know? Hmm. Uh, that was the whole thing. If you do the, the shoulder thing, you have it. Because he's playing. He can't do like a conductor, you know? Yeah. He's playing. He's like, he didn't give you the eye? Yeah, he has the eye. <laughs> <laughs> so is that more telepathic than it is rehearsed, that improvisation? Just like, can you like musically finish each other's sentences or you just learned what Dickie's cues were and just kind of well, knew which way to go? A little bit of both. Uh, sometimes Dickie would really look really mad, really pissed off. He just would look <laughs> mad and I wouldn't know why. And over the years, I now know why, because he was so used to playing with such a great band and we were just trying to be that. But he was used to playing with an unbelievable band. I mean, that band was just smoking when they were playing the, the Fillmore gigs and all those things when they were in the creation stage, that was a smoking, killer-ass band with distinct personalities. Uh, you know, kudos to him for trying to pull it out of this man and, and taking other players and trying to communicate that sense of um, intensity and, uh, you know, intensity. That's probably the word right there. Dick is a very intense guy, but uh, speaking as a, looking at him as a composer, an unbelievable composer, too. I mean, I play a lot of Beethoven with the orchestras, and I do a lot of different composition stuff. But analyzing the music of the Allman Brothers, writing charts and getting my band to play it, I'm telling you, man, Dickie's one hell of a composer, too. Those instrumentals, Elizabeth Reed, that's a serious composed piece, piece yep. of music with, with improvisation thrown in. Sure. When we did our show, our conductor, David Ott, who's a brilliant guy, he, had a, he could do all the stuff where it was all written out. But boy, when we got to the improvisations, he got a little, little sketchy there. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the classical people have a hard time getting to where it's not all perfectly set. Yeah. Uh, and so um, we hope to bring that project back around. I've got a video and an audio 
uh, you know, raw data of it basically here. Listen to some of it last night, and it sounds really good. It was an unbelievable night with an orchestra, but it's the music of the Almer Brothers. Mm-hmm. But all the it's stuff an orchestra. you heard, but then they all had, had an, uh, the composer, David, had written a whole orchestral track, man, some beautiful stuff. So I hope to get that back on track and get that rolling again here soon. Yeah, it's you guys in Metallica now who are torn, getting those orchestras playing your music. Right, you know. And I've played in a bunch of those, not Metallica, but, you know, Beatles. Right. I've been yeah, in the yeah. Beatles come or uh, uh, ABBA, ABBA shows, whatever, you know. And the Beatles show was really good, though. Well, it's always amazing, too, how much, like, even look at metal music, like Metallica, pop music, rock music, like what you do, how well it pairs up, really, with classical and how that stuff influences or the education really goes along with that. You would never think that, but it does. Well, that's because it's music, man. It's all music. As long as it really is music, then, yeah, there's a thousand ways and a million ways to, to bring it all together with a larger group or pare it down to a smaller group. You can take a song and just play it on a piece of guitar. You know, mm-hmm. some, yeah, it's, it's all music. It's a very flexible and interesting medium. I think that's why I'm still interested in it after all these years, you know. Um, but I, I tell myself if I keep practicing, though, I'll eventually get good at it. <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah, keep at it, man. I think you've got a, I think you got a chance. <laughs> I'm working at it, man. I'm working at it, I swear. So, got a gig this weekend. Got to be ready. You know? <laughs> so, if you can tell us, like, how the Almond Goldfleas band uh, came about and how, what's, how does that differ from the Brothers Revival? Yeah, it's a really different thing, man. And it was a completely unexpected thing, too. Um, I was basically rolling down the highway one day with a friend of mine, girlfriend. We were just riding around, and Gary Almond called me up out of the blue. I've known Gary since he was 40 years old and he's 64 now. So I guess 24, 25 years. Uh, in the middle of that, he disappeared for 10 years into a federal penitentiary. Mm. Uh, and I didn't really know what happened. You know, one day the phone rings and it's Gary. Actually, he, he sent me an email or something, a text, and it had a little file attached. And I listened to the song. It's called Standing in the Georgia Rain. And I listened to that. I pulled the van over. I said, well, that's a hell of a song. And so I saw the number and I said, Gary, what's this song? He said, man, we got to have a band, man. I said, well, that's a hell of a song. It's on the Second Chance CD. This mm-hmm. It's all standing in the Georgia rain. It's just about as heartfelt, real Southern song as I've ever heard. And so um, Gary and I started communicating. He was just getting out of prison, just getting back into life. And I had a little place here on the beach. And I said, hey, man, you can stay there for three months. No rent. Just get on your feet. Do whatever. Let's get a little band going. And so we did. Uh, and then we started bringing in players and had a couple missteps there, but then we ended up with who we had. But you know, then we, Gary had a, a whole bunch of songs that he had written in prison. And if you listen to the words, there's real intensity, like he's living that moment. Um, the last song we just put out, the single that we just did, uh, Will You Still Be Mine? Listen to the words, it's about razor wire, and, you know, chain link fence, Will You Still Be Mine? It's literally, literally written in federal prison. So I thought that had a real good heart and soul. And... Um, Probably for the first or second, probably second time in my life, I was moved enough to say, let's do an album, man. So we just did the album. It took about two years to complete it in between putting the band together and just life and gigs, whatever. Um, but that's how that's how that came together. You know, then that's a different group than the Brothers Revival because Alma Goldie's band, we, while we did some Alma Brothers stuff, we had our own sound, we had our own. Mm-hmm. That um, That's interesting. So knowing what you just told us about Gary puts a lot of context to that album, like just why it sounds the way it is, some of the themes of the songs, like Second Chance, even say, like, Sand in the Jordan Rain. That, when you just said that, a lot of that stuff just clicked with me after going through your album the last couple of days. 
well, yeah. And we had a manager at the time that we really didn't get along with at all. And I'll leave it at that. But <laughs> that, I told him we, we really needed to say that, explain to people that this was music written in prison. And this is kind of like a Phoenix story of coming out of the ashes, you know. And, that's, and he said, oh, we don't want to be negative, man. We don't want to talk about prison. I said, that's what it is, man. It's real. It's a real thing, you know. And so just be real. Tell people what it is. On this last one we put out here a couple weeks ago, Will You Still Be Mine, that's primary in the in the marketing of it is we tell the truth. It was written in prison. And even the arrangement was stretched out because prison is like a lot of time to kill, I guess. Never did it. But, you know, the arrangement doesn't just come at you real fast. It's just you got lots of time. Chill out, let it happen, you know. Um, and so, yeah, so Gary and I, uh, we reconnected recently. And I said, I was thinking about putting out this one last song we recorded, his vocal and everything. And he's like real excited about it. He said, yeah, let's do it, man. So so we had some tacos up in Bonifay, Florida, and talked it over. And now we have a song out. <laughs> they have the sounds best like uh, with Gary, it seemed, sounds like, you know, that Almond musical genetics goes beyond just, just, Dwayne and Greg, or do you know much more about the rest of their family? Is you know musicality throughout the rest of their family? Well, obviously there's some musicality throughout that family because there's Devin and there's all kinds of different people doing things. Um, Gary calls himself the redheaded stepchild of the whole organization, but I've seen people walk into our gigs when Gary was on the gig, and uh, I mean some of the real fans are just struck. You can tell they're like act like they're seeing a ghost and hearing hearing Greg. Because uh, I guess there's something in the family, the, the vocal, it's called formants, I think, the vocal tones or something. I, mean, I hear it. It sounds, it's got that sound, man. It, 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 I, run, I run off sound. And when I hear that sound, you just know that it's that sound. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. it's, it's authentic. You know, the, so Gary, uh, yeah, he has a lot of what you call it, innate musicality. Sometimes I wish he had studied more and had more facility. But his innate musicality and his heart is a huge heart. Gives him the ability to write these songs, you know. And then he trusts me to come in, screw them all up, mess around with them a thousand ways. And I finally come up with something we both agree is cool and it's a little more than what we started with as far as the arranging and getting the bands to play it and stuff like that. So it's a little bit of a, it's a group effort there between he and I. Well, talk about the rest of the guys in the band. Well, I've been fortunate enough with the Brothers Revival to be able to bring in the guitar players who played with me in Almond Goldfleece. Because um, they really went through like, they, well, I called it the David Goldfleece School of Rock and Roll. But really it's the Dickie Betts School of Rock and Roll. Because <laughs> Mike Koch is playing with us, uh, who is Dickie's keyboard player in the Brothers Revival. And, and Mike went through the Dickie Betts School of Rock and Roll as well. And Mike is an unbelievable player, man. Uh, super, super guy. Uh, and, and we've been doing tracks. Uh, he's down in Sarasota, so I'll send him a track. I, I, Send him a computer with Ableton Live on it, so he'll record a track and send it back up to me. And and you can hear him on, hear him play piano on this voice. Which track have you? Which guys? Which tracks have you heard? Have you heard of Taiwan on, or have you heard Will You Still Be Mine, or any of any of the new ones? Have you guys heard the new ones? No, I've I've listened to the 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 Almond Gold Voice album like that that whole. That's what I've kind of been listening to leading up to this. Yeah, there's a couple a couple new ones out right now. One's called Taiwan on. Uh, Mike's playing on that, playing the uh, some piano, but also some really killer B three stuff right in the middle of it, man. Nice, really I love, nice. I love, I love that sound. That is such a classic sound for a rock album. Yeah, it really, really is nice, especially the breakdown after the bridge. Mike is just out front, totally out front. 
So Mike's been playing with this as a joy. The guitar players came up from Almond Goldfleece Band. Uh, when, I, when they first started, literally Joe didn't know what a D7 chord was. But Joe just is a brilliant guy, and he just blossomed. And then Matt came in, our other guitar player, Matt Siegel. And Matt had put an ad on uh, Craigslist, wanted to join an Almer Brothers cover band. So we called him. Bingo. Wow. Jackpot, man. You're gone. <laughs> we really are all, we, we did the real thing. And Matt was um, pretty iffy when he came in, but, but he worked really hard. Now Matt sounds freaking, can I say anything else? Maybe I shouldn't. He's freaking great. You can say whatever you want to say, man. It's, it's <laughs> no, just yeah. But uh, yeah, he's unbelievable now. He's a wonderful guitar player. And he and Joe worked their asses off and got tight. They got tight. I wrote out all the parts. They learned to read them. Because if you want to get a guitar player to start, stop playing, put music in front of them. <laughs> it's true, man. But they, they rose to the occasion and they became really quite, quite amazing in live performance. Isn't now, that the one that played with Robert Randolph and um, Ray Wiley Hubbard as well? Oh, I don't know. Is that are those Texas guys or something? Yeah, those are Texas guys. Maybe. I don't know. If, I'm not sure of Matt's resume. Okay. It's it on with, the internet, so it's got to be true, right? Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> drum position has been kind of a rotating position. We had a guy named uh, Sean Shackelford was with us for a while. Sean was a trip, but Sean could do some interesting stuff on drums. And we've had <clears throat> different guys, Robert Beckton. Um, now we're locked into a young man from here named Drake and a buddy of mine who I played in a big band with who's doing, I guess you would call it the JMO, kind of the jazz side. Um, and he plays the guys as a wonderful jazz drummer. So you put the two together, you get the, kind of get that sound, you know. Mm -hmm. um, Dick Reinley is his name. He has a little music store over at Walton Beach. Um, yeah, but Dick and I, man, we're funny. He's a Republican and I'm a Democrat, man. We go at it like, but it's a joy, <laughs> it's a joy to play together. He's a great guy, you know, and a good, wonderful player. And we both read, so the big band was fun to play in. Did that two and a half, three years, just playing big band music. Are you guys doing the double, the two drummer format, like in the Almonds with uh, yeah. both these bands? Yeah. Yeah, it's not, it's not, well, well the Almond Goldfish band didn't always have two drummers, but the Brothers Revival always has two drummers. I mean, you're not going to get that sound with one drummer. And if we had the budget for a good percussionist, I know who to get. We just don't have the mm -hmm. budget, you know, because you really need to have that wall of sound. Yeah. Uh, we even brought back, or yeah, brought back the uh, bass and timpani solo that, that Butch did. I bought a pair of timpanis, and we just carried timpani with us. So wherever we can set them up, um, Dick is, was a timpanist in the orchestra I play with. So he goes out there. He studied Butch, man. He can do the Butch thing, wiggling all over and playing timpani. So wow. we try to get as authentic as we can. And I know we got to be our own selves, but we try to be really close to the really close to the mark as far as what I experienced when I was with the band. You know? Yeah. Well, I think it's probably fun for you, right? Like you enjoy doing that, too, and also helps you bring in the audience, too, to get you exposed to the newer music as well. Right. The old stuff kind of brings people in. But what you're doing now keeps them there. Well, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I called Dick the other day and said, hey, man, you ready to play Rockstar next year? And he said, yeah, man, let's do it, you know. <laughs> At our age, man, I'm, I'm 64, man, I'll be 65. It's like, it's really enjoyable to do when these gigs are at a, kind of a different level than your bar or your restaurant or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, although you mostly used to concert work, working with the orchestras now, but uh, the, rocks, the rock work is really fun, man. It's fun to just go out and just rock out, you know, like that feeling of just the intensity and immediacy of rock music. Uh, something not completely... Uh, revered now that everything's done on computers and everything's mm -hmm. 
virtualized a little bit, even now more so that we're all isolated. Um, so I'm not sure how these gigs are going to come off next year, but I think they're going to isolate, you know, distance the audience, you know. Maybe, maybe not. It depends on which group you get coming to see it, you know. Yeah. Some, some people take it real seriously. Some don't at all, obviously. So. Right. Yeah, interesting times right now, too. And hopefully we'll get over those sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. A couple of the tracks that really stuck out to me that I enjoyed is uh, Ever Been So Lonely Baby and Pretty Green Eyes. What can you say about those two songs? Ever Been So Lonely, man. I thought that was a fun song to play. It's a straight-up blues. It started as just a basic blues, Gary playing it on an acoustic guitar. Ever Been So Lonely, Baby. Three times die. You know, that kind of, I think he wrote it when he was in Tuscaloosa and his um, future wife uh, was down here and just wrote that at that point. But he really liked what I did with the arrangement on that one. We kind of made that thing have a, oh, the, on the recording, it's a set length, but on the stage, it's just a long improv section to build up into that last verse, you know. Um, it's pretty fun. Uh, pretty Green Eyes. We never really played that much live. Uh, frankly, we needed a better drummer. They couldn't keep it just in the pocket. There's some mm-hmm. real interesting parts on that. But I thought that was one of the best rock-sounding tracks on the album. Some of the organ playing on that. Just how things move. And we get a lot, had a lot of requests for it. Pretty Green Eyes is a really neat song, man. Not as easy to play as you might think. You know, it had some real specific things that made it happen. Um, should Gary and I get it, get something that moves us to putting a band back together, I really hope we can play Pretty Green Eyes because that was a really cool song, man. I think I rehearsed that thing for a couple weeks. You know, every time I rehearsed, I'd say, let's work on Pretty Green Eyes. And man, it never came together as a live performance. But it worked great on the on the recording, and um, it was actually I think the second most played thing on Spotify or something like that. Pretty wow, remote. it's a really nice song. I mean, just a beautiful song. Yes, uh, again, Gary's sentiment, Gary's heartfelt sentiment in those words is just something. You know, that that's where it all starts, man. If it didn't have uh, some kind of real meaning and uh, some cool melodies to work with, there'd be nothing to arrange. You'd end up with a well arranged nothing song. But the song itself. And all of Gary's music has real heart, man. And real, yeah. and that makes all the difference, man. That it really does. This album, the Second Chance album, it's you know listening to it, it's influenced and has different sounds kind of across the board. You've got your southern rock, you've got country, you've got a little bluegrass with fiddle, um, blues. Like you almost remind me a little bit of the band where you sort of whoever wrote the song or helped create the song. That's sort of the that's sort of the way the song went. What was kind of what was re, what was your focus on doing this album? Was it like, hey, if you guys have an inspiration somewhere, bring it to the table. We'll deal with it. I mean, kind of what was your perspective on the whole thing? Well, I I, I drove the project in terms of finding a, a path forward, almost like a produ- a production schedule. Okay. I, would, I would create the production schedule. I would create a few people would bring in ideas, but mostly they would just say, "What do you want me to do?" Okay. Gary would come in, we'd listen and we'd talk, and I always loved his sensibilities. He'd listen to a track and he'd say, man, that doesn't feel right right here. What's going on? He might not be able to articulate it. I'd say 99% of the time he was right. We came up with something better after that. Yeah. But just to give you an idea, like the album started, oddly enough, the first thing we recorded was the choir, the choir on uh, When Jesus Calls. Oh, no kidding. That was the very first thing we recorded, the very first day. That was the first thing. We brought in a choir. I mean, I had a friend of mine over in um, Niceville who was a choir director, and she put together a choir. We went out and recorded it in this nice uh, you know, acoustic hall at the university there. And that was the very first thing we had, besides just a basic, you know, a sketched out track. And then we built the track around that, that choir. But 
um, that was a neat song to record, man. Yeah. <laughs> Who did you use for your backup singers on that song? I love that gospel, that soul back, those, the backup singers. Well, a friend of mine, Lois Henry, was she retired from over at the Northwest Florida University in, in Niceville. But she brought in people she knew from the community, churches, whatever. And I told her what I wanted, you know, what I wanted. And we, and we both worked, she and I worked on the chart, you know, so people had something to read. Um, Gary put his input on that. We made charts. Um, and then we just basically brought, brought it up, ran a click track to her head. And then she just conducted the, or, the, the thing, you know, gave it pitch. And then we just conducted it, you know. And so it was about, I think it was about a 12-person group when we double-tracked everyone. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, soprano, ten, uh, alto, tenor, bass. You know, and it's all people that she knew. Just um, They did it for snacks, as a matter of fact. <laughs> I love that sound. That, that is a... That is a like iconic sound in a lot of southern old rock music is that that, that gospel, that background singing. I love it from the crows now. Just you put us you put that in a song, I'm in, man. Yeah, it's a it was a wonderful sound. And it fit it perfectly uh, and knocked Gary out because um Gary it was written for his mother. His mother passed away while he was in prison. And so when he heard that song, he just felt like it had really come the the feeling he felt had been realized in music is how he put it. You know, which is kind of cool, you know. But as far as tracks went, you know, a lot of times I'd be just sitting here in the studio, actually a different one, but um, just, you know, figuring out, you know, get a basic drum thing, get a basic bass groove, just this, that, and the other. And then one at a time, bring the players in and say, over double guitar, I got an idea for this, got an idea. And that's why it took so long, man, because it wasn't a band in the studio. It was kind of a creation thing. And honestly, once we started playing them live, I would go back and do it completely differently. Because once we started putting the band out on, on stage, things just started to happen that happen in bands. Some better, some worse, but things happen. You know, you know, just, you know in a way, a band will you know, kind of round off the corners on a live performance unless you just stay on, you know, stay on the chart, man, stay on the chart. I was sort of a slave driver. I, was, I will admit it. I was a very picky band leader. Like, we'd stop at rehearsal. Hey, that's not how it goes. Uh, one good example is the drummer. He would start playing all this cymbal stuff. And I would stop and say, if you ever find yourself playing cymbals, it's never in one of the songs we play. You're playing the wrong song. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, as a music director, you just know what you've got to have. Mm -hmm. And people will just go on out there. I understand that. I've, I've done it. But the idea was to try to come right back to the core of that music and make the focus at all times the message of the song. Yeah, that, was, that was the core of that band. That is the core of that band. Is the message in the music that Gary wrote. Everything else is to make the show make it work the diddle was fun it was fun it's a good show a good song um but the basic real concept was those songs gary wrote at that point in time and then we've written some stuff since joe weiss one of the guitar players has written a song called second chances and we hope on a future project next project to have second chances out and he wrote it for gary but he talked about gary writing the songs for second chance mm -hmm. so it's kind of like built on itself you know and it's a really neat little song. The words are just right on the money. Um, so where are you guys going to be taking this, like, after COVID? What's uh, touring plans or? Well, you know, I mean, it's, with the Arnold Goldbys band, it's interesting. It was a dead issue for about a year and a half since we did the Brothers Revival. Gary was doing other stuff. He had a, a Gary Allman band. Hmm. Um, and so we really haven't <clears throat> talked too much about, like, going out on the road, putting a band together. But we are working on another song right now. So I think don't want to put the cart before the horse. Basically, let's just make sure there's some music that we want to do. And then hopefully there'll be a little demand out there. A few people want to book it. 
few people want to come to the show. Um, like literally this week, the, the last song we just put out, Will You Still Be Mine, just hit Apple Music, it just hit Amazon, it just hit Spotify. I mean, this week. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it's on Spotify, it's definitely on Apple. And Will You Still Be Mine. And um, so we're just in the process of announcing that and letting the fans know that that exists. Basically on the Facebook page, but uh, Doug Deutsch, my publicist, has um, is reaching out, you know, to people right now, letting them know that we're back, back doing stuff. We've got a nice release out. Really like the new release. I think it really came together. Um, it's just got some interesting musical things that happen. And but through it all, Gary has this crazy bluesy voice, man. You know, Gary gets up in the morning and starts talking in his blues, man. Does <laughs> yeah, really? And when he plays guitar, like he plays slide. And when he plays slide, it's kind of like that dude on the front porch in Mississippi playing slide. I could practice that all day long and never do that. He just gets up and does that. It's just the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. It's just who he is. So um, that authenticity turns me on, man. It makes me want to work on the project. And so as far as what happens, I would love to take it out because there's some demand. I'd love to go out and play some. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. We had a, a show over in um, If you want to see a live show, we did a show over in um, Pensacola. Oh, what's it called? It's at the public television stage over there. I forget the name. A public television show. It'll come back to me. But it was about two years ago, and we did a whole one-hour live set of nothing but the band, you know, the actual band at that point. With Dick, okay. Dick you know, Robert Beckton on drums, Gary, me, Joe, Matt. I mean, just the core band. Uh, all kinds of music, man. Some of the stuff we were doing back then. I had a four-year-old friend, actually three, two at that point. And we had a song called Rolling in a Box on the Floor. It was just fun, man. Just, you know, like a little kid will roll in a box on the floor. You know? <laughs> but it's funky. It's so funky. It's so funky. Another song called Taki that we haven't released yet. But it's kind of like what happened after Jessica. That's how we looked at it. Like Jessica did its thing. Then we wrote Taki. And Is it so, instrumental too? Yeah, it's neat, man. It's a neat tune. I've been thinking about that a lot lately because I have a lot of live recordings laying around on my computer here. And just pretty much I think a live album might be the way to go because we have so much stuff. And it's all original, man. I mean, from Gary's music to mine. Um, I was more the instrumental stuff, mostly. And then Dick, obviously Gary is the lyrical stuff. But we have lots of shows. And some of them sound really good. I listened to a mix of Fiddle with, like I said, with the orchestra last night. And it was like, I was just like, wow. Yeah, I had my telescopes out in the yard, man. And I learned to remote in from my Macs. So I could be inside and watch what's happening on the scopes. And I got, a real, got the California Nebula and got some more data on Orion's Nebula. But it's sitting in here, I staying warm. It was cold out, so I just started clicking around. I found a mix of fiddle, and like that did about did like right after the show. And I said, "That sounds pretty cool, man." Yeah. So we'll see where that goes. Hopefully, we'll get something out. And answer yeah. your, yeah, there's some demand, man. We'd love to do it. Are you in touch at all with anybody else that's played in the Almond Brothers since you were there, or when you were there, or after? Or? Any sort of like long distance camaraderie relationships or anything? Not much, a little bit, but not a lot. Um, one that turned out to be an interesting kind of relationship was Kirk West. I don't know if you know Kirk or not. Kirk was the photographer when I was in the band. Kirk was just this kid from Chicago who was hanging around the band. Turned out his whole life became one of the most preeminent rock and roll photographers. He's in Macon. I uh, just got over COVID, actually. He survived COVID. Oh, I'm glad he recovered. Yeah, man, me too. And he's an unbelievable photographer. Um, but through him, I met the guy, uh, 
Richard, I think, who runs the um, museum up there. Mm-hmm. So I went up to the museum a couple years ago, and now my Olympic base is in the, in the museum. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, so, and I have a jacket, had a tour jacket from the Enlightened Rogues tour, and I put that in there. I wasn't wearing it, you know, so I was got to put some stuff on, you know, permanent loan, whatever. Um, and then I reached out to JMO, and he, we and I spoke a couple times back and forth. Nothing much happened, but been in touch. Uh, a Brothers Revival um, uh, started out as a concept with, um, oh, come on, brain. So I'm getting old, man. Piano player. Chuck Lamell? No, Seven Turns. Uh, Kenny Neal? No, come on, come on. See, this is my Johnny brain. Johnny Neal? He had a, unfortunately, he had a stroke. Uh, come on, I can see his face perfectly. I can perfectly. Uh, anyway, we started the band with him, and he played, he did the Seven Turns album. We can Google it. For That's great. It's been a while. Um, so he hung out with us for a while and was playing, but he had a, a big stroke, you know. Um, Johnny, Johnny Neal. Yeah, it was a Johnny Neal, yeah. I'm sorry, I was, he was in there. Yeah, unfortunately, Johnny had a stroke, man. He came down and played with us in Pensacola after the stroke, and man, he tried so hard, but it, it just wasn't possible. He only had one hand at that point, you know, so really sad. Um, so, I mean, a little bit of relationships, nothing too intense, um, and stayed in touch, honestly, with the old manager, Bert Holman. He was, he was very helpful with the Alma Goldfleet's band, you know. Reached out to Dickie. Dickie's doing his thing, but I didn't mm-hmm. manage to scoop up Mike Koch to play with us, who was yeah. playing Band. Is Dickie doing okay? I know he had some health problems relatively recently. I don't have any firsthand information, but from what I understand, he's okay. He's doing fine, you know. Good. Yeah, I don't have any firsthand information, you know. His son's doing great, man. They're yeah. out there, their brains out, man. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Almond Betts brand, right? Correct. Good for them. Yeah, for sure. They're really starting to get a little bit of name and reputation and building up a following with the rock, Southern rock community. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, good for them. Absolutely. That's a great thing. I watched a video with Mike Koch and uh, and and them playing. They were playing together, and um, it was cool, man. I mean, it was just it reminded me of Dickie playing. Just had the same mm-hmm. kind of same kind of attitude, man. I, I dug it. It's like it just made sense. It just made sense. Yeah, my parents live in Dunedin, Florida now. Retired down there, and they got a chance to see the Allman Betts Brothers band. I think in Clearwater, and they. They raved about them. That's kind of how I found out about and listened to them. And I'm a, I'm a fan myself. They're, that's great to keep, see those young guys keeping this kind of music alive. And doing a good job, too. That's, doing a good job. Yeah. Not just the name, but actually doing a good yeah. job. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not coasting by on name. They're definitely talented and they've got some good tunes out there. Well, he had a good teacher on guitar. <laughs> a great role model. And Dickie is really something. He's a, quite a musician. He's quite an artist, too. I remember he would, he would be like painting stuff in there. Was, and so he was yeah. Really, Interesting One of guy. my favorite guitarists is married to Dickie's daughter, Frank Hannon from Tesla. Right on, right on. Wow. Yeah. So maybe I taught you something there, there uh, David. <laughs> you did. <laughs> uh, mentioning the Almond Betts band, that's a good segue into, you know, one of the main things about this podcast that I'm trying to get across and emphasize is all these, you know, newer, younger newer, younger Southern bands, you know, besides the Almond Betts band, is there anybody else that's, you know, the younger, new kind of whatever you want to call Southern rock revival movement bands? Any Anyone that, that, that sticks out to you that you've heard or you listen to? or The, the thing is, I'm really, really, as you can tell from this interview, I'm horrible at names. I'm like the worst <laughs> person on the planet, man. Uh, was it Black Smoke something? This Blackberry band? Smoke. Blackberry Smoke. 
Yeah, that, that seems like a pretty good band. Like they're doing yeah. good things. You know? Definitely. Dave and I, um, Brian and I are both really big fans of Blackberry Smoke. Okay. What I've heard has just been exemplary, and they're always and they're always touring and doing so well. Back when back when people were touring, they were always doing you know good. They're gigs. doing drive-ins right now, and they're doing like three um, three uh, live stream. They just did one last month. They're doing one October and one in November too. But they're hitting drive-ins right now. That's cool. That is very cool. And so beyond that, I really had, don't know who's doing what out there. Uh, I have been doing a lot of listening. I've been doing a lot of practicing because I have now I've got all these gigs coming up. Before that, I was learning astrophotography, so I've been just standing out, staying by myself out in the country. Uh, safe, totally safe, man. It's pretty cool. Yeah, socially distanced. Yes, I always say it's gonna have to get pretty bad in the world before it reaches all the way out here because there's nothing out here, man. It's just nothing. But it's cool, and um, the internet is here, obviously, and so it's good enough. But yeah, learning astrophotography, man, has been a really interesting thing the last six months. Yeah, actually five months. I figure I won't even be warmed up for the first year. I'm still stunned, like last night, looking up and like something new comes over the horizon I haven't even seen yet. You got to go around the Earth, around the sun one time before you even get a chance to see it all. Yeah. And then see your hemisphere. So I got a whole another hemisphere to go, you know, like it's a, it's a fascinating subject, man. Um, yeah. It's, it's kind of like a gig, though, man, because at a gig, you go and set up a bunch of equipment. You got tune guitars and make amplifiers work and PAs and balance. The astrophotography is the same thing. It happens at night, kind of on on stage, and then you um, you know it's got a bunch of equipment you got to go make work, and it's kind of like a gig. Just you know, it's just very similar. I find the vibe good. You're working at night, you get tons of gear. So, so let me ask a question. Since you're in the astrophotography, and I just kind of noticed this the other day, um, in the COVID world we're dealing with now, there's not as many people and things going on outside. Where I live, I live a little bit more rural area outside of Columbus, Ohio, but, you know, not too affected by the city lights. I swear the light, it's clearer to see at night the stars and the moon and the planets now than it was a year ago, I think, due to less people traveling around doing things and causing, you know, pollutants in the air. I mean, are you seeing that and studying through your astrophotography and, like, it's easier to see things? You know, what you're saying is quite possible, less pollution from just yeah. not, especially in the big cities. Uh, my problem down here in Florida is that we've just been getting pummeled by tropical storms and hurricanes. Yeah, yeah. You know, hurricane can hit over, it just did last week, it hit over in um, St. Charles, Louisiana. It was cloudy for eight, nine days here. I mean, just solid, just clouds, and we actually got wind and stuff from that storm. Well, we're 200 miles away, 250 miles away, so we've just been getting pummeled. So I couldn't tell you if the air is clear or not. Okay. It just it's, seems that way, and I figure a dude who studies the stars might be able to tell me if I'm imagining it or not. No, I don't think you're imagining. It's quite possible that there's less pollution in it. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, I hope yeah, so. Around the cities, up around the cities. Down here, the air is pretty good with the Gulf and everything. We're pretty, not a lot of industry, um, but there's humidity forever. So mm -hmm. I'm, looking, I'm looking to relocate part-time to New Mexico now just so I have some clear skies. Wow. Yeah, we're going out there uh, beginning November. Got a little public radio interview to do. Going to take a fiddle with me so I can go find some cats to jam with and Hang out in Mexico for a while, man. Go find a nice dark mesa somewhere and set up the telescope and go for it, man. Some yeah. new inspiration for some new music. Absolutely. And new people to play with. It's a whole different vibe, you know. Got that, uh, there's a lot of Indian, heavy Indian culture, mm -hmm. Mexican culture. Uh, plus, I'm closer to, you know, the West Coast, which has the West Coast music. So we'll see what happens, man. It's just going to be, I figure if you don't go out now, you never will. 64 years old, get off my ass, go do something. So let's go do it, man. Tell you what, this has been really interesting to have a 
conversation break out about ast- astrophotography <laughs> from rock and roll guys. <laughs> I didn't expect, I didn't see that coming, but it's, that's awesome. Man, I love it, man. Uh, I just got a new guide scope today for one of my second rig, and we're balancing it to get, we're trying to get less weight so that our auto guiding, which you basically lock in on a star and say, don't let that star out of your view, and it'll keep everything lined up so you get really crisp photographs. I mean, just yeah. My problem is that I'm kind of obsessive for, for perfection. Like, you know, record, you know, it's like in the studio, you record it a thousand times. So it, it really gels, you know, it's the thing. I'm doing that with the photography too, man. So I'm always throwing away half of what I take each night. I'm seeing some merch, some album art, some t-shirts, some banners for you guys in your, when you're out on the road. True. Well, we, I put out a song earlier this year. Uh, it's called, um, you can look it up on the web there, uh, Space Rider. Space Rider by Gold Fleece. If I spelled my name different, man, because nobody can say Gold Fleece. They say Gold Flies, right? So it's G-O-L-D-F-L-E-C-E. And if you look up Gold Fleece on YouTube, got two, two tunes out right now. The one is Space Rider. And it's got a harp on it, like an actual harp, you know, like an orchestral harp. It started with a lick on the harp, man. But it ended up having, like, a guitar and, like, this unbelievable crazy bass line, man. Like, this insane bass solo thing. Um, played with a trumpet. Can't quite explain it. But I, I got a, a robotic telescope when I first got into this. It's called Selena. And we set it up and got some pictures. And so I put some of the pictures of Selena in that video, too. If you look at the Selena, it's a fascinating it's a robotic astrophotography device. Basically, huh. just hook it up to your, uh, it'd be really great for public outreach. It does pretty good work. Um, but basically, the little thing goes up, figures out where it is, takes a picture of, you know, the pinwheel galaxy or the veil nebula or something like that. And there it is, you know. So we did a couple of those. I took them out, stuck them in the video. Uh, also, um, ah, hold on. It's got to be gorgeous. Uh, I also just happened to have a model of the space shuttle that was used in 2001 Space Odyssey. This, oh, yeah. This is in the video. <laughs> yeah, I got that when I was like nine years old or ten years old, man. But that's a model. That's the Pan Am space shuttle from 2001 Space Odyssey. Well, it's not the actual one, but it's a model of one. So you've always kind of been interested in, in, in space and astronomy? Evidently, right? You know? Yeah. <laughs> Computer, space, and music, man. That's been like the life. Computer, space, and music. Go, go figure, you know, anyway. Anyway, so I did like a night, I did like a, is it Ed Wood, the, the cheap movies, you know, where it looks like this thing's flying across the thing, held up by threads, you know? Mm-hmm. It looks like cheap sci-fi effects in my in my well, video. Well, I wrote my note down. I'm going to check that thing up as soon as we get off this call. I want to see this video. Cool, man. So how long you guys, how long you guys had your show, man? Well, this will be the, when we, when I finish editing, when I edit this one, it's going to be the twelfth episode. So uh, this Jason is my just, first podcast. Yeah, well, yeah, well, we interviewed someone right before you, so I have two different ones here. But yeah, so Jason's a brand new co-host. I had a uh, different individual for most of the, you know, five or first five or six, and then I did a few solo, and then right. now Jason's on board. So yeah. It's I'm a, a rookie. You're breaking me in, sir. Thank you for being nice. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, and we're just trying to promote this thing any way we can. I sure appreciate your interest in the Almond Gold Police Project, man, because um, uh, the guys were all just kind of scattered. And then I said, man, we should do this last song. So I just did it. I didn't ask, never asked permission, man. Just do it. So I did it, and it just turned everybody on, this last song, Will You Still Be Mine? Uh, and and it's made a lot of interest from the guys, the people in the band, you know, let alone people outside of us. So 
I do hope to see some good things come from that, just that rekindling that fire again. I love a brother's revival, um, but it's a different it's a different project. It's it's not as original. It's it's like a it's like playing in an orchestra, man. You're faithfully reproducing, you know, Schubert or whatever. But we're faithfully reproducing the Allman Brothers band. It, different kind of music, same kind of energy and precision to really pull it off, man. Um, so it's really I appreciate your eyes' interest. Yeah, yeah, I really, really appreciate you being on. It's been a pleasure. It's been a great conversation. Uh, I just, I can't thank you enough. You're it's a legend, been, dude. Been, like, yeah, a legend. It's been by a far legend. our biggest guest so far. The first and, time I get uh, to do a podcast, I get to talk to a, a legendary rock artist. So, Brian, thank you for allowing oh, me to join in with this. You thing. are welcome. Well, I always tell people that I'm a rock star, but I'm like a. Do you know guys know about anything about magnitude of stars? The lower the number, the brighter the star. Okay. So if you have a magnitude one star, it's really freaking bright. Well, if you have magnitude 11 star, it's not very bright. Well, I'm a magnitude 21 rock star. I'm like a little tiny. <laughs> That's a cool name for a band, let me tell that you. Really, that is a cool name for a band. Magnitude My next 21. band is going to be called that. 21st magnitude. <laughs> it's a galaxy far away. It's, it's glowing like crazy, but nobody can really see it, man. You know, so... This little bit of um, bringing some light on the project is really appreciated, man. Well, don't sell yourself short. Anybody that knows music, particularly this genre of music, knows knows your name, knows um, the Allman Brothers Band, all the stuff, and the people that you've worked with, too. So the people listening to this podcast will we'll, we'll know who we're talking to. Cool, man. Cool. David, yeah. we you. always ask the artist if we can play out one of their songs, and if so, if you would like to pick one for us to play out at the end of this episode. Well, honestly, if you're going to play one, it'd be fun off the Almond Goldfish band, but it might be even more interesting to either do Black Betty or uh, try it one more time from Enlightened Rogues. There you go. <laughs> that we will do. Yeah, either one. We can do two songs, right, Brian? Sure. I mean, who oh, says we sure. have to do one? Let's do two. Yeah, try we, one more time. Try one more time. Was I wrote co-wrote with Dickie, uh, and it ties back to Bill Bartlett, who did Ram Jam, because he had a song called Right on the Money that had a kind of an interesting lick thing. And I played something like it, and Dickie heard that and said, man, we should write a song around that. And we did try it one more time. So it kind of relates black, to Black Betty and to Bill Bartlett, who was, if you don't know, he played in the Lemon Pipers. So if okay. you go back and listen to Lemon Pipers, all that psychedelic stuff was Bill. Mm-hmm. Was, you know? so, we, can, we can play as many songs as we want. I have to uh, quote Tom Petty, God rest his soul. He once heard him, I once heard him say, I don't, know the ru- I don't know the rules, therefore I'm not afraid to break them. So... That's what we're all about here at the All Things Blues and Southern Rock podcast. And play the new tune, too, man. Will you still be mine? That's sure. New- that will do. That makes all right. Sense. Thank you so much, David. And uh, we hope to talk to you again sometime soon. Pleasure. Take yeah. care, gentlemen. We just got done uh, hearing our chat with David Goldfleas, one that uh, I was certainly... I don't know why I should think I like, was taken surprised by how awesome it was and how... Like we were just both sitting here like like kids in a candy store, like you know, like kind of signaling questions to each other as we were talking to David. What do you think? Uh, that that guy was amazing. I mean, just he needs to write a book, I think, or something. That that dude from his experiences decades ago to everything he's doing now is just I could just listen to him talk about everything that's going on. I really want to check out what he's doing with the uh, the symphonies there in Florida, and then even what that Allman Brothers band revival looks like. I know we pulled him on for the uh, Almond Goldfleece band record to talk a little bit about that, but I think we spent more time just talking about this dude and his experiences because it was just, he just had some great stories. Yeah, and it seemed like there's some contrast between the Almond Goldfleece band and 
the actual almond revival thing that he does. It'd be interesting to hear hear the nuances of difference in that. But uh, and we need to get him back on to talk about that. Astrophysics. Who would have thunk it? Uh, who would have thought astrophysics, astrophotography? Um, I think it kind of plays into probably a lot of the stuff that went on back in touring in the seventies and the eighties that gets you in the right mindset, maybe to get into that. If, if you picking up what I'm putting down, <laughs> we're, we're expecting to hear rock and roll debauchery and we hear about astro astrophotography. <laughs> I got some we friends, the are, wrong questions, got some friends are definitely going to enjoy that, man. So, but, uh, as again, it was a pleasure to do this next episode with you, man. And we're going to do many more and I look forward to that, but man, I got to run. So always remember Southern rock is reverent and blues is blood. We'll see you next time.
Chipping away bit by bit At my time No matter where you go Just can't find peace of mind Raise a wire, chain link fence around me. When my time is up and ride this out and they set me free, will you still be mine? Now, baby, will you still be mine? Will you still be mine? Will you still be mine? Still be mine. Oh, now, baby, will you still be mine? Will you still be mine? Same old routine every day. Rain or shine No matter where you go You just can't find Peace of mind Raise a wire A chain link fence surrounding me When my time is up And I ride this out And they set me free Will you still be mine? Oh, now, 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 baby Will you still be mine? Chipping away bit by bit at my time. Cold wind blows, my hard rain falls in the winter time. Raise a wire, a chain link fence surrounding me. With my time and love.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 